Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of issues, etc.? Please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org, or you can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. Jesus made enemies, there's no doubt about it. That, at least humanly speaking, is how he ended up on the cross. Of course, he had a different purpose for that crucifixion than his enemies did. They wanted to kill him, destroy him, and end his ministry for good. He had other plans, like paying for the sins of the world and rising again from the dead and securing salvation for a world of sinners. But those enemies, well, we need to continue to look at them and understand why they were so opposed to Jesus and all that he said and did. Welcome back to Issues Etc. It's part two of our series on the opponents of Jesus. Today, the Sadducees, Dr. Curtis Giese joins us. He's professor of religion at Concordia University, Texas, New Testament editor of the Concordia Commentary series and author of the Concordia Commentary on James. Dr. Giese, welcome back. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you again. We started this series last time talking about the Pharisees as some of the opponents of Jesus. How would you compare and contrast the Pharisees with the Sadducees? Just regarding similarities, they are both Jewish groups at the same time, in the same place. They are both zealous about Old Testament law. After that, uh, the, the differences more so come to the fore. The Sadducees do not accept the entire Old Testament as authoritative, rather they accept the first five books, whereas the Pharisees accept uh, the entire Old Testament plus an alleged oral law that came down from the time of Moses, was handed down verbally from generation to generation. The Sadducees reject that. The Pharisees do not accept freedom of human will in all things, accept God's providence, the Sadducees are the opposite on that. They uh, assert absolute human freedom, absolute human will, and reject divine providence in matters of earthly affairs, whereas the Pharisees accept resurrection, life after death, blessings, punishment after death, existence of angels. The Sadducees reject all those things. The Sadducees focus very much on this life, whereas the Pharisees also emphasize the life to come. Their focus on, on law is very much the, the greatest commonality that they have, and they are representatives of Judaism. Also, I should note that the Pharisees were the heroes of the populace, much greater following, whereas the Sadducees were not the case. They're more so aristocratic, wealthy, and they were typically understood as in charge of the temple, whereas the Pharisees were lay representatives, middle-upper class merchants, and again, heroes of the people. So a few similarities, but quite a few differences. Where does the name Sadducee come from? Yeah, that's a debated issue. It could be from the name Zadok, uh, Zadokite priests. Those priests uh, were serving during the time of David and Solomon, and then also after the exile, after Israel's return from exile with the 
construction of the second temple and the high priests were limited to those who were descendants of Zadok and also those priests continued in the line of Zadok the second temple apparently until the high priest Jason who served from 175 to 172 BC he was replaced by Menelaus in 171 BC because Menelaus presented a greater bribe to the Seleucid king. The Seleucid Syrian kings were in charge of land of Israel at that time. So Menelaus took over as high priest because his bribe was greater. And then as a result of that, the priest Onias IV, a Zedekite priest, led the remaining Zedekite priests to establish a new temple in Leontopolis, Egypt, shortly after that time. And some say that that may have precipitated the establishment of the Sadducees. So one assertion that it comes from the word Zadok and indicates the Zadokok line of priests. Another assertion about that name comes from just the Hebrew Tzadik, which means just or righteous and doesn't necessarily connect it with the Zadokite priests. So we did a little bit of this. We were talking about the Pharisees and their origins, but we need to talk about this so-called Second Temple period or the intertestamental period where the Sadducees came from. Give us a little history lesson. Yeah, that's important to look at the common time period, common context in which these groups arose to understand what sort of baggage, what sort of uh, agenda they come with to the context uh, of Jesus. Well, at the end of the Old Testament, we have the Persian Empire as the superpower at the time. And with that, the Old Testament ends. Shortly after that, we learn from other sources that Alexander the Great rose in Macedonia and he conquered much of the then known world. He did not live very long, died as a young man, and his very ambitious generals vied against each other for land and for power. One of those generals was named Ptolemy. He took over the land of Egypt, both he and his successors, and he also conquered the land of Israel. And he ruled the Jews for about a century with great benevolence. And here I have to define again Judaism as a movement in the Second Temple period that veered away from the the teaching the faith of the old testament and became a, a very legalistic movement that often found itself against jesus whereas uh, the teaching the of the old testament and uh, those of the faith of the old testament look forward to the coming savior jesus whereas many of those in judaism found themselves opposed to jesus so then we have also in addition to ptolemy the seleucid kings as well. Seleucus was one general of Alexander, and he took over the land of Syria. And after a hundred years of Ptolemaic rule of Israel, then the Seleucids took over as well. And they were not as benevolent at all. Actually, one of the Seleucid kings, namely Antiochus IV, saw Judaism as a threat and forbade the practice of Judaism and desecrated the temple. This, of course, caused anger of many in Judaism, and one particular family known as the Maccabees led a revolt against the Seleucid rule. This was a father, Mattathias, and also his son, especially Judas Maccabeus, and other sons as well. And this is recorded in the book of First Maccabees, an apocryphal book. 
Well, that revolt went on for a few decades until they totally acquired independence from the Seleucid Empire. And with that, they established uh, the Hasmonean dynasty, it was called, and subsequent kings were called Hasmonean kings. And for a while, the Hasmonean kings kept separate the role of king and high priest, but they began to adapt both of those roles, and that raised the ire people. Now, when the revolt uh, arose, uh, the book of First Maccabees records a group of pious ones who associated with them, and but then disassociated after they became disenchanted. That could be the Pharisees, but some scholars assert that Sadducees might be among them as well. That could be when they arose. As these Hasmonean kings rules, there is one particular by the name of John Hyrcanus, who ruled from 135 to 104 BC. There's a, a recorded event in Josephus, and I'll mention, uh, talk about Josephus in just a little bit, but we learn that John Hyrcanus invited a, a group of Pharisees, especially some Sadducees, to a dinner and just asked them, what's the view of the kingdom and how things are going? And one Pharisee by the name of Eliezer said that John Hyrcanus should drop his role as high priest and just be a secular leader. Well, that made him angry, made John Hyrcanus angry. And a friend, Jonathan, who was there, he was a Sadducee, said that the, the Pharisees are just bad news. You should get closer to the Sadducees. So this was a major shift in the Hasmonean Empire to move from uh, favoring the Pharisees to the Sadducees. And that continued for decades thereafter, especially the case with a subsequent ruler by the name of Alexander Yanaeus. He oppressed the Pharisees, favored the Sadducees. But on his deathbed, he said to his wife, uh, who became queen, Alexandra, that she should once again give greater favor to the Pharisees. So there's this back and forth favor between Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, then finally, the sons of Alexandra, two sons, were vying for power for succession, and they couldn't decide who would be the next king. So they invited Rome to come in and be an arbiter in that. And when Rome comes in, Rome takes over. And there was Roman occupation, but they preferred to use a local ruler. They didn't want to use one of the Hasmonean kings and high priests, but rather they chose Antipater, who was the father of Herod the Great. Antipater didn't last very long. He was murdered after a short time. But then after some struggles, then Herod the Great comes in, fairly long time ruler, toward the beginning of Jesus' life. He dies shortly after Jesus is born, as we know, and then come the sons of Herod the Great. And that's where we come onto the scene of New Testament times with the Pharisees and Sadducees having become established. They represent some common but opposite sides of Judaism, again, with Pharisees being more favored by the populace. But the Sadducees, likely the uh, those in charge of the priesthood and the temple, they were favored by some rich elite and not by the populace in general. What were the Sadducees, what was their relationship with Rome like? The Sadducees were more so welcoming of Rome, more so than the Pharisees. They were known to be more secular Although they, did, they didn't want total Hellenization of the culture, they 
did not mind the status quo and they did not want to upset uh, their Roman occupiers, but were willing to cooperate. The Pharisees, a bit less so, they're more so purists. They did not want to be the zealots, become violent, but they were less welcoming of the Roman occupation compared to the Sadducees. Dr. Curtis Gacy is our guest. It's part two of our series on the opponents of Jesus. We're talking about Sadducees, and next we'll discuss their role in New Testament society. a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Some place where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. What is eternal life? How do you understand it? How do you imagine it? We're full of all sorts of ideas of what eternal life might be like. And yet, the scriptures are clear. Eternal life centers on Christ and him crucified for the sins of the world. The November issue of the Lutheran Witness explains some of these misconceptions about eternal life and what the scriptures say. So to learn more, pick up your copy of the November issue of the Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, teaching you to interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. God's peace be with you from the beautiful Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Kingsford, Michigan, invites you to include us in your travels to the North Woods. As you enjoy the beauty of God's creation, we're here to deliver to you the unsurpassed beauty of God's gifts of word and sacrament, where Jesus Christ is found for our forgiveness, life, and salvation. To learn more about us, Search us on Facebook or visit OurRedeemerKingsford.org. Congratulations to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's newest active duty Navy chaplain, Lieutenant Eric Gledhill. He graduated today from Navy Chaplain School in Newport, Rhode Island. Lieutenant Gledhill and his wife are off to their first duty station with the Marines at 29 Palms, California. LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces supports all LCMS chaplains who serve on active duty in the Reserves, the National Guard, Civil Air Patrol, and the Coast Guard Auxiliary. Find out about their service at lcms.org slash armed forces. LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces, lcms.org slash armed forces. We're talking about the opponents of Jesus today, the Sadducees, with Dr. Curtis Giese. Dr. Giese, how would you describe the Sadducees' role in New Testament society? They were likely aristocracy, most likely the priests in charge of the temple, not popular 
like the Pharisees. Now, there's also some scholarly debate, and we look at some texts in Acts. Some assert that the Sadducees were essentially the priests, but some scholars note, oh, maybe maybe not every Sadducee is a priest and not every priest is a Sadducee, but it appears to be the overall the trend, indeed, that the priests were Sadducees. So they had a very prominent positions, and the temple is so central to the Israelite Jewish faith. So being in charge of that made them indeed quite the center of religious life, but again, not so highly esteemed as the Pharisees. And they opposed the Pharisees at many points. But interestingly, we see, especially in the Gospels, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees joined together in opposition to Jesus. And when you read some texts, it seems like the Pharisees and Sadducees might be on the same page because they are mentioned together in their opposition to Jesus. So when we see the priestly opposition to Jesus, we're likely seeing that large degree overlapping with the Sadducee opposition to Jesus. That is likely the case indeed, that the the priests are Sadducees. So let's talk a little bit in a little more detail. You kind of highlighted it at the beginning, but let's go into a little more detail about their theological position. Where would you begin? Well, first of all, what they accept as authoritative text, authoritative teaching. The Sadducees accept the first five books of the Bible, uh, the Torah of Moses as authoritative, but not the rest of the Old Testament. In contrast, the Pharisees are known to accept the entire Old Testament In addition, the Pharisees accepted, as mentioned, that oral law, which was allegedly was handed down from Moses and passed on from generation to generation, and then uh, purportedly much of that recorded in the later Mishnah and Talmud, although there's debate about the correspondence between the Pharisees and the rabbis, as mentioned last week. Now, some scholars are asserting that the Sadducees did accept some semblance of an oral law, but one that is of their own and not quite as extensive because in the Mishnah and Talmud, there's some recording of early Tanitic rabbis who do speak specifically about Sadducee teaching on topics similar to the Pharisees, but just from a different point of view. So that might've been a, a situation with them. They assert absolute human freedom, absolute human will, uh, not a bound human will. Unlike the Pharisees, they reject divine providence, intervention in this world. Apparently, a part of that is they did not want to associate God with the corruption, the evil of this world, to assert him as a source of evil. They denied the resurrection of the body. That's a big one, huge difference with the Pharisees. And of course, a big difference with the Old Testament and of course, the teaching the New Testament, the hope of all Christians and Christ's resurrection and our bodily resurrection as well. Overall, they they reject life after death, any blessings or punishments after death. They reject uh, the existence of angels and any world beyond the physical world. So they are are very this-worldly, very secular in contrast with the Pharisees. Could we say that there are at least a rough parallel to what would be Reformed Judaism today? Yes, very strong parallels, whereas the Pharisees have uh, greater affinity with Orthodox Judaism. Indeed, yeah, strong, interesting parallels. 
Dr. Curtis Giese is our guest. We're talking about the Sadducees in our series on the opponents of Jesus. Why did the Sadducees in particular oppose Jesus? Real Reformation Radio, you're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to our beloved on-demand listeners, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality. You can help us climb the charts by subscribing, rating, and reviewing Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us cast Christ's net on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Dr. Curtis Giese, New Testament editor of the Concordia Commentary Series, is our guest for part two of our series on the opponents of Jesus. Today we're talking about the Sadducees. In about 20 minutes, it'll be part seven of our series on the difficult sayings of Jesus today. Jesus talking about man's forgiveness and God's forgiveness in Matthew chapter six. Pastor David Peterson of Godestines will be our guest. Dr. Giese, why did the Sadducees in particular oppose Jesus? It seems that they saw Jesus as a threat to their status quo, to their position that they had with Rome, but also uh, the Sadducees rejected Jesus and his teachings, the the Pharisees also, so that that common opponent uh, of Jesus on various things, they're willing to join together. But it seems since they did not want to upset their situation with Rome, that that was a main motivator for them since they largely ran the temple industry there. What about Jesus, at least what they believed to be an apparent threat, certainly from Rome to the temple, but to the temple itself? Yeah, so they centered their work, of course, their power in the temple, and that was such a magnet for people. It was a great moneymaker. Jesus, when he came to the temple and he upset, turned over the tables because of the inappropriate things happening there of overcharging people. And Jesus said that he is the fulfillment of the temple, that the temple will no longer have its former place because Jesus is the presence of God, physical presence of God among his people, whereas the temple was the predecessor of that, where the God in his gracious presence would be. But now Christ in the, the God in the flesh is the fulfillment and uh, successor of that, the temple is no longer the necessity. So indeed, the Sadducees would see that as a a threat to what they are doing as well. What are the primary New Testament sources and other sources for what we know about the Sadducees? Yeah, that's significant. And there's a lot more information about the Pharisees compared to the Sadducees in the New Testament. There are 87 references to the Pharisees, whereas only 15 regarding the Sadducees, and just regarding the Sadducees, it's only on eight different occasions. On some occasions, they're mentioned more than once. And it's the Gospel of Matthew that has the most references to that. And Mark and Luke, there's only a a common synoptic parallel with a section of Matthew 22. 
So the first appearance of the Sadducees is in Matthew 3 regarding John the Baptist. And again, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are together uh, again in their opposition, or at least suspicion of Jesus. In Matthew 3, when it speaks about John the Baptist, Matthew reads, But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Listen to pause. So apparently John was suspicious about their intentions uh, being there. So it continues, John the Baptist says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Apparently, they were viewing their heritage as something that made them entitled before God. And then in Matthew 16, once again, the Pharisees and Sadducees are again together and they, they test him. So in reading Matthew 16, verse 1. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. So it seems that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were looking for some affirmation or legitimacy for what Jesus was doing and teaching. But he, Jesus, proclaims the sign of Jonah where he will go into death and then rise again, essentially, as, as Jonah in the belly of the whale again. Immediately after that, the disciples are warned by Jesus. Jesus warns them, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they don't get what Jesus is saying, and they are finally made to realize, oh, the teaching of them. So that's another instance where they're mentioned. And then comes the great account in, in Matthew 22, with parallels in Mark 12 and Luke 20, where the question of the resurrection arises. And here, the Sadducees are mentioned by themselves. It says in Matthew 22, beginning with verse 23, the same day the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too, the second and third down to the seventh. After all of them all, the woman died, and the resurrection, therefore, of the seven whose wife shall he be, for they all had her. Now just to pause here, the Sadducees are putting up a seemingly impossible scenario for Jesus, at least in their mind. They are thinking that because there's no resurrection, because it'd be inappropriate for someone to be married, to be multiple people, so it's a, this is something to disprove the resurrection. But Jesus just totally blows them out of the water, so to speak, with the following statement. Jesus says, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. So Jesus totally says they're out of bounds, that they don't know how to interpret the scripture. They don't know hermeneutics. They don't know the Bible at all. 
and they do not know God at all. So he calls their argument, their thought, totally a field. And then Jesus goes on, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So Jesus here indicates that the resurrection is indeed true and he is God of the living and the Sadducees totally misread scripture from the very outset. Their hermeneutics are fundamentally absolutely wrong. And then the text continues, uh, the Pharisees heard that Jesus silenced them and now they try to test him. And that's all that's in the Gospels. But then in Acts, we have several occurrences with the Sadducees. And here there's arises some of the debate about what the makeup of the Sadducees is. In Acts 4, it reads, and I continue to use the ESV translation here, and they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now that seems to hint that the Sadducees were separate from the priests and the captain of the, of the temple, but other scholars in a legitimate way to take the Greek is to understand that chi, that word and as explanatory, that is the Pharisees, and that seems to be more clearly the case in Acts 5, where this comes up again, that uh, this just lists in the Pharisees. So Sadducees, the namely the priest and captain of the temple, came upon them, namely they came upon Peter and John as they were teaching, and greatly annoyed because they, the apostles, were teaching and the people proclaiming Jesus, teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. And when they arrested them, put them to custody until the next day, for it was already evening, but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were the high priestly family. And when they set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name do you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today, Concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. So once again, the emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus as a historical reality. And then it arises again in Acts 5.17 where the first line introduces them. It says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him. That is the party of the Sadducees. So there it's more readily obvious that that's all the Sadducees, the high priest and all who were with him in the company. And they arrested the apostles, put them into public prison. But during the night, an angel Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people, all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. That's Acts 5. And then the final instance in Scripture is in Acts 23, verse 1, where, as we discussed last week, after the third missionary journey, Paul was arrested by the Jews, and there is the high priest before him, and both Pharisees and Sadducees actually are there. And then Paul brings up the resurrection, and they are fighting with each other, and thus Paul deflects the attention away from him and goes into the dispute about the Pharisees and Sadducees and their difference on the resurrection.
I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. Dr. Curtis Giese is leading us in a teaching on the Sadducees in our series on the opponents of Jesus. Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas was recently named Best Private School in Collin County and Best Preschool in Collin County by Plano Moms. Faith Lutheran School provides a classical Lutheran education for pre-K through 12th grade. They also offer live online classes with student-teacher interaction for high school students worldwide. Learn more at flsplano.org. Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. Where are the Sadducees mentioned in secular history? Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. Have you thought about eternal life? When does it begin? What is eternal life? Well, your eternal life does not begin when your body, earthly body, fails and is laid into the grave. It begins, in fact, in the waters of holy baptism where you were tied to the death of Christ and in him you were raised. To learn more about this topic of eternal life, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Christ-centered, cross-focused, You're listening to Issues Etc. As we prepare for the Advent season this year, it's time for some contemplation. Your Christmas are from the 80s. They're made of styrofoam, the glitter has dropped off, and they're being held together with toothpicks. Don't celebrate another Christmas hearkening back to the age of glitter balls. See Ad Crusom's beautifully designed Christmonds together with our book describing how they fit into the church year. Visit adcrusom.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The school's division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. It's part two of our series on the opponents of Jesus. Today we're talking about the Sadducees with Dr. Curtis Giese. He's professor of religion at Concordia University, Texas, and author of the Concordia Commentary on James. Dr. Giese, are the Sadducees mentioned in secular history? Oh, indeed. In the works of Josephus, they appear on six instances. He mentioned a number of times in these instances. So just a Josephus, an incredibly important Jewish historian, a near contemporary of Paul. 
He was a general, a Jewish general in the Jewish war against Rome, but he defected and cooperated with the Romans. And a part of his work was to write a history of the war of Rome against Jews to speak favorably about Romans, but also to defend Judaism as much as he could. But he assembled an amazing amount of of history of this time, also the Second Temple intertestamental period and other eras as well. So indeed, very grateful for the history of Josephus. So he mentions the Sadducees a number of times. He says in uh, his uh, work called His Life and also in War and Antiquities, he mentions that he examined, he explored the various Jewish schools of thought at that time. He speaks about uh, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Essenes. And having explored them all, he finally decided on the Sadducees. But he came to know all these movements, all these schools of thought. Then, as mentioned, he narrates the events with John Hyrcanus about going from favoring the Pharisees to the Sadducees. But he also speaks a number of times about their teachings, just affirming what the New Testament tells us about uh, stress on on free will, free will having the ascendancy, and also that they reject the persistence of one's soul after death and the like. But he also tells that the, the Sadducees were known as very rude and boorish, even among themselves, and very harsh as well in their judgments. And also, Josephus indicates that the Pharisees attracted the populace, very popular among the masses. But according to Josephus, the Sadducees were only able to persuade a few rich families among the social elite to be their supporters and indeed not particularly favored by the populace. And that's about it that Josephus tells us. But also in rabbinic literature, especially in the Mishnah and Talmud, which are allegedly the some of the much of the oral transmission of law handed down by Moses. And also, again, there's a connection between the Pharisees and the rabbis. There, there's some, uh, some entries about the Sadducees. Now, since the rabbis are, to a great extent, continuation of the Pharisees, any notations about the Sadducees are quite negative. Uh, there's one scholar who, who described the, the Sadducees' description as that they are without religion or morality uh, in Talmudic literature. And also, when it comes up, especially regarding the early Talmudic rabbis, one sees obvious differences. They're criticized regarding their observance of Sabbath laws, calendar observations, sacrificial practice, purity laws, and again, the, the penal system regarding breaking of law. So the Mishnah and Talmud point out many instances in which these differ and overall view the Sadducees very negatively. So how would you highlight the main theological problems that both Christ and his church have with the theology of the Sadducees? Well, there are many, but I especially like to, to highlight their rejection of the resurrection. That is so pivotal, so central to our hope in Christ and so central to the historical facts of who Christ is and, and what he did for us. And it's very sad as well that they offered no hope. They had no hope. Their only hope was in this life. 
And I just like to go to the great resurrection chapter of First Corinthians 15, where Paul portrays what it, what it's like if one does not accept the resurrection. I just like to begin First Corinthians 15, verse 12, where Paul says, "Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised." And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins." then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are fallen asleep. And Paul goes on to speak about the assurance and our great hope in the resurrection. And that's sadly something that the Sadducees reject since they only see this life. And also I'd just like to read the Augsburg Confession, Article 17, that speaks about Christ and his second coming, the resurrection, or uh, Augsburg Confession says, it is also taught among us that our Lord Jesus will return on the last day for judgment and will raise up all the dead to give eternal life and everlasting joy to believers and the elect, but to condemn ungodly men and the devil to hell and eternal punishment. Again, those things strongly rejected by the Sadducees, and again, they have no hope as we do in the resurrection. And also their view of the human will is very optimistic and very much against scripture. I had the honor as mentioned as writing the commentary in the book of James, and James has a section on that, James 1, 14, 15, where it speaks about the corruption of the human will, human desire. James says, rather, each person is tempted by his own desires, being dragged away and enticed. Then desire, having conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, having become fully developed, gives birth to death. And thus, James characterizes humanity as indeed lost the human will is not virtuous. We are in need of a savior. So also Augsburg Confession, Article 18, speaks about that and indicates what, what Lutherans state. Nothing new. It's in agreement with scripture. And also uh, there's a quote here from the early church father, Augustine. Article 17 reads, It is also taught among us that man possesses some measure of freedom of the will, which enables him to live an outwardly honorable life and to make choices among the things that reason comprehends. Just a pause. So there the confessions are speaking about civil righteousness. That is, we can attain a, a certain level of good by the acts we do in society. But then it goes on to speak about our righteousness before God cannot be attained by human will or actions. Uh, Article 18 says, but without the grace, help, and activity of the Holy Spirit, Man is not capable of making himself acceptable to God, of fearing God, of believing in God with his whole heart, or of expelling inborn evil lust from his heart. This is accomplished by the Holy Spirit, who is given through the word of God. For Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, quote, 
natural man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God. In order that it may be evident that this teaching is no novelty, the clear words of Augustine on free will are here quoted from the third book of his Hippognosticon. Augustine says, we can see that all men have a free will, for all have a natural innate understanding and reason. However, this does not enable them to act in matters pertaining to God, such as loving God with their whole heart or fearing him, for it is only in the outward acts of this life that they have freedom to choose good or evil. By good, I mean that they are capable by nature, whether or not to labor in the fields, whether or not to eat or drink or visit a friend, whether to dress or undress, whether to build a house, take a wife, engage in a trade or do whatever else may be good and profitable. None of these is or exists without God, but all things are from him and through him. On the other hand, by his own choice, man can also undertake evil as when he wills to kneel before an idol, commit murder, and so on. So the confessions here, including Augustine, states very much that the human will is limited and bound, as Luther very much proclaimed. So in some major ways, the Sadducees divert from the truth of sacred scripture, and of course the Lutheran confessions, and leave no hope and give too much optimism in what humanity can attain. It is a, a law-oriented religion that leaves anyone far short of uh, the benefit that is offered in Christ. Well, it's largely an argument from silence. We do know of several Pharisees who became disciples of Jesus, even secretly. Does Scripture point us to any Sadducees that did so? I'm not aware of, of any Sadducees uh, that became followers, no. Dr. Curtis Giese is professor of religion at Concordia University, Texas. He's New Testament editor of the Concordia Commentary series and author of the Concordia Commentary on James. Learn more about the Concordia Commentary on James and the Concordia Commentary series on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Next week, we'll continue our series on the opponents of Jesus, talking with Dr. Curtis Giese about the Herodians. Dr. Giese, thank you very much. You're welcome. It's an honor to be with you. Pastor David Peterson of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy, will be with us next for part seven of our series on the difficult sayings of Jesus. We'll be in Matthew 6, where Jesus sounds like he's making it contingent that God will forgive us only if we forgive others, that somehow our forgiveness merits God's forgiveness. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. This new resource will help you navigate God's Word with clarity and confidence. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number 1-800-325-3040 or browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting lcms.org slash stewardship.
Join Lutherans for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 19th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023. Go to lutheransforlife.org to learn more about LFL's Conference for Adults, LFL at the March, and the Y for Life Youth Conference in Washington, D.C. The registration deadline is December 15th. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org. Holy Cross Lutheran Church, Moline, Illinois, invites you to join us in receiving the Lord's gifts in word and sacrament. Sunday services are at 8.15 and 10.45 a.m., with Bible class and Sunday school at 9.30 a.m. We are located in the Quad Cities at 4107 21st Avenue, Moline, Illinois. Welcome in the name of our Lord. Sanctifying your commute with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.